Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who had DDT do a job on him. He's got no cerebellum, but he's got his PhD in teenage lobotomy. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean... For this episode, we have a special guest. He was a referral from our previous guest, Eric Davidson of the New Bomb Turks. And if you haven't checked out that episode about the Dead Boys, you're missing out. But I digress. Our guest for this episode is a drummer who's been in a few punk bands, including the Devil Dogs and the Pristines. And I'm sure I'm missing a ton of other bands. Please welcome to the podcast, Mighty Joe Vincent. Hola, que tal? How are you, man? Excellent. Yeah, we're doing well. Thanks for coming on. Oh, it's okay. You didn't miss a whole lot others. I spent I spent 10 years playing in the Swinging Neckbreakers, which is weird. That was kind of like the longest I was in a band, and it always felt sort of temporary. Uh, but, you know, whatever. It was a great time. And uh, I'm playing in a band called Gotham Rockets right Ooh, now. I'm sorry we missed those. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. Well, uh, Swing and Neckbreakers only did, I only did one album with them and it kind of just came out and died on the vine. Um, what are you going to do? Well, you know, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast, I have to ask the all important question. What t-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with Mighty Joe. I am wearing a t-shirt that says Hell Dorado on it. It is, uh. It's from a club in the north of Spain in, in Basque country in a town called Vitoria. Um, uh, but it's a really cool T-shirt and it was, it's a really cool club. Uh, it's up in Basque country. I always remember I, I made the mistake one time of when I was playing there with the Swing and Neckbreakers. And it's, it's a pretty big club, uh, you know, maybe holds about 500, 600 people. You know, the, up, up in the north of Spain, the Basques, uh, they they don't feel like they are Spanish. They're not Spain. And um, I made the mistake of saying in Spanish, said, uh, it's great to be here in Spain. And 600 people yelled at me and said, you're not in Spain. Um, if you ever go there, the, the in the north of Spain, the, all the signs are in Spanish and in Basque. Basque is a very weird language that is like not not like Spanish at all. So, what kind of derivative is that? Is that is that like more Latin based? I uh, a lot of people, uh, it, you know, it is a big mystery. Uh, it's huh. not Latin based at all. Like English is closer to Spanish than Basque is. Like Basque has That's weird, right. like it has an O with a line through it and an A That's with right. a curly Q on top of it and stuff. Um, that what the they think is that the Basque language is the language of the original Iberian people before the Romans came. So it's an ancient language, dates back before before they started speaking Latin and Spanish in Spain. Um, but it's not it's not related to any other language, and you know it's it's only kept alive in the northern part of Spain, like just below France. Along the north coast. Uh, so Wayne, what yeah. t-shirt are you wearing? Um, yeah, I I follow Will Hogue on Instagram, and he posted this picture of his new t-shirts. And one of them, it lo- it it it's 
it's a, it's almost like the Firebird uh, uh, from the hood of the Trans Am, like Smokey and the Bandit had, except the the head of the bird is a guitar, uh, the head of a guitar. I had to have it, even though I told myself I wasn't going to buy any more T-shirts till the end of the year. So I'm wearing my Will Hogue flaming guitar shirt. You're addicted. How much did it <laughs> set you back? How much did it cost? I was like 25 bucks. Huh. Yeah. Not the worst. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not wearing a new t-shirt, so I'm uh it's been a couple episodes since I wore my uh new favorite t-shirt. So I'm I'm wearing my Ships of Sail t-shirt again. <laughs> there you go. At Sail? Uh Ships of Sail. It's a uh it's a band uh that we had on uh what 3 3 months ago, I guess, Wayne. Oh, uh, yeah, it was during the summer. We did uh yeah. S- STP's Purple. And um, I uh, I bought one of their shirts and it's super comfy and so I uh, I have worn it for probably half a dozen shows now. So yeah, sometimes like there's t-shirts that are just really comfortable and and you wear them a lot and people are like oh you must really be into that band and you're like well no it's just a it's a nice t-shirt. Well, I I like the band too. In fact, one of their songs is going to make an appearance on. Uh, our most listened to songs of 2019 uh, episode, but um, no, it's just a comfy shirt. So okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just get, giving a little, giving a little love to an indie band. So, and uh, that was a really fun episode. So cool. I got to check them out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's, um, let's chat with you first before we jump into the record that you chose. So what's, what's the story behind the, the mighty moniker of yours? Um, when, when I first joined the devil dogs, you know, they had been playing for a couple of years before I joined, you know, they had, they went through a whole bunch of drummers at the beginning. I joined right when they were making their second album, and, um, you know, they had been like leather jacket, T-shirt, jeans wearing band, you know, like the Ramones. And um, right. and when I joined, Andy decided we're all going to uh, assume rock star personas and stop dressing like the Ramones and, and start wearing like jackets and putting pomade in our hair and you know like he that was his idea like we're you know we're gonna start having a look and uh and we're all gonna have a name so uh he became fabulous andy steve became crazy stevie and i got mighty joe so that was my persona through the devil dogs and uh you know and i was totally happy with that and uh but it's really um when i went after the devil dogs and I did the pristines and I thought like, all right, I'm just going to be Joe again because that was like my devil dogs name. And, but it was honestly, it's just a a nickname I cannot lose. So I gave up, I gave up trying (laughs) and I'm just, so I just embraced it. Can't shake it. So how many, how many records did you end up making with the devil dog? I did three and a live album. So four and okay because yeah you know sometimes you don't think about a live album as having made a album because there was no you know process to it gotcha but um yeah so i did three albums with them and then a live album that came out after we broke up actually 
So when did you guys break up? 94, 95? No, 96. 96. Like okay. the very beginning. It was, you know, it was a slow crawl to that death. Uh, you know, Andy and Andy and Steve hadn't been getting along. And I, I kind of felt like I was a bit of the fulcrum between the two of those guys. Cause I was still friends with them both and they were at odds with each other. And I kept going back and forth going, you know, I was like the little kid going like mommy, daddy stay together. And, um, you know, cause I, as much as I was in the band, I was also a huge fan of, of it, you know? And I thought that the three of us had a chemistry together. And I, I knew like, you don't find that every day. You can't just go find another couple of guys to play with and replicate that formula. So I was, you know, I knew how precious it was. And, and I kept begging Andy and Steve like, Oh, come on, you know, be friends again. And, um, and it, it just wasn't, it, it was just not possible to save anymore. They, they were, you know, kind of going out of their way to hurt each other's feelings and, and it just wasn't functioning anymore. So that was that. Gotcha. Why can't bands just get along? Well, it's a weird thing because it, it, you know, you do get married to these people, um, you know, especially when, you know, we toured a lot and, you know, as a matter of fact, I, I recently found a bunch of old schedules uh, and, you know, we were on like, a you know, we do a big tour and come back and do like small weekend things and then do like a two week tour. So, you know, we were on the road a lot together. And the day I remember realizing that we were married, we went out to breakfast somewhere and the waitress came over and asked what we wanted. And, and Steve ordered breakfast for us all without us having spoken. And, and he got exactly what we all wanted. And I was like, Oh my God, we know each other so well. We're like, we're married. you know. And, and the thing is, you know, like, like in relationships, if when you know somebody that well, you know how to effectively hurt them. Like, yeah. you know, as much as you know, what they love, you also know what they hate and what hurts them. And, you know, you can very effectively hurt the other people's feelings. And, uh, so yeah. And, and people grow and, you know, Steve got married and he, uh, I, I think he wasn't as into going on the road all, all the time anymore. Cause now he had a wife and, uh, yeah, you know, just people grow grow apart. It's like the Carpenter song, right? Can't, Which one? Can't we stop hurting each other? Such such prophetic words. Oh, Karen, Karen was a prophet. <laughs> yes. So for people who, um, I, I will I will freely admit that uh, I am not a punk. Wayne Wayne will will uh, second that. I'm sure, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I'm whenever I'm I'm booking guests, I always tell people, look, I'm I'm the Americana guy of this relationship and Wayne he's 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 the hard rock and punk rock guy. So Okay. So for so for the Devil Dogs, what are the songs that um a a layperson like myself 
should should go and get introduced to the devil dogs what are what are some of those introduction introduction songs i will tell you a handful of songs because we did you know we did attempt pop from time to time and uh you know i'd also like to say you know there's there's so many bands that i knew that were i think just punk by default because I, i think punk got to be this thing where you know if you can't if you can't sing melodically and you can't tune your guitar and you can't play in time and all that sort of thing. And you say like, well, yeah, it's punk rock, man. We're allowed to do this. And, and that was just an excuse to like play sloppily. Um, I think that the devil dogs, you know, like the Ramones is like, we mean to play this way. Like we are not playing this way because we're sloppy. Um, That's the sound you're looking for. Yeah. Right. Um, not like we're we're incapable of anything else. Therefore we're calling this punk rock. Right. Um, But, uh, I'll tell you a handful of songs that are on the pop side that we did. One was called get on your knees. Um, one is called radio beat that I thought was, uh, the closest we had to, you know, what could have been a single, Drawing a blank on this, my own tunes, um, "Baby I'm a King." That was that was one. So, so those are those are good introductions for me. So, how about for somebody like Wayne? I spent I spent the whole other day listening to the. I just put Devil Dogs in Spotify and listened to everything that was on there. Uh, uh, yeah, Babysitter, Rock City, USA, Back in the City, Big. F- party i was listening to i had the whole i like all day i was just listening to devil Dogs. okay i was i was loving it i was in oh heaven. cool thanks thanks and look and you said the f-bomb not me i was i just want i just wanted to show you it was okay i just want to get get the ball get the ball rolling okay it's <laughs> cool. usually when i'm editing an episode um more often than not i'm editing wayne because I think he he knows that I'm the editor guy, and so he's like, "I'm gonna make this difficult on Ben." Just okay, just just cause. I, yeah, sometimes you just need an f bomb to spice it up. It's the only word that'll work. Right, yeah, I know. Sometimes, yeah, right. It, that's the thing. Like if you use it effectively and not, you know, not too much, it's cool. But I'm still picturing Wayne's grandma being in the room, so I'm. <laughs> I'm right, right. I should. That's what. That's what you should be. <laughs> so, uh, so let's let's switch gears. So, from from Devil Dogs, you went to the Pristines, right? That and that's a name that I remember from from. I guess you guys were late '90s, early 2000s, correct? Yeah, late '90s. We we were done by 2000. So, like the Pristines started okay. right after the Devil Dogs. Uh, yeah, right after the Devil Dogs. Well, actually, after the Devil Dogs, Andy and I had a short-lived thing called Los Primos. Okay. That uh, we recorded an album that never got released. 
And uh, there was a couple of singles released from it. But at the time we recorded that album, uh, both Andy and I were really into the John Spencer blues explosion. And right. um, Andy really admired how John Spencer didn't really sing lyrics as much as just make sounds. Um, and Andy wanted to do that. Andy was like, I don't want to write lyrics anymore. I just want to go like, I'm a baby, baby tonight. And, you know, just say tonight and come on and things like that. And the rest of the lyrics were just, you know, sounds. And uh, so we turned in this record to Crypt. And Crypt said, okay, yeah, when are you going to, like write lyrics to it. And then he said, no, 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 that's, that's the way I want it. And he said, all right, well then I'm not releasing this. So I kind of realized that band didn't have much of a future and I split and, and then started the Pristines. So, but the Pristines was not punk rock. You know, if you've heard any of this stuff, I think the Pristines was more like, you know, we were mining similar territory that the, the devil dogs did uh you know like the ronettes and and the beach boys and stuff like that but but you know the pristines was all women except for me of course and um you know that it was it was an all girl band that and so i could you know i could write songs with like three-part female harmony with, with actual female singing it and uh and you know i wasn't i wasn't going for pure punk rock in that band i was going for pop you know like pop with a punk feel and uh so it's it's definitely you know it shouldn't scare if if you're not a punk rock guy it should not scare you away and and you just described why i probably have heard about the pristines as opposed to the devil dogs as you said you were going for the pop sensibility with a little bit of punk infused in there and and that's more in line with you know my style that i'm i'm cool with so i'm sure wayne probably didn't like the pristines as much as he liked the devil dogs uh, maybe not as much but yeah they reminded me of like like the muffs and stuff like that or the uh who was it there was a lot of those those punk that that's right on the fringe like almost on the fringe of new wave and and punk yeah um well, uh, you know, I got tired of, um, you know, so like punk rock songs like that are not melodic, you know, and if, if it's just like the vocals are just like some guy screaming, you know, that I, I got a little bored with that. And I was like, yeah, I want to write melodies and, and, and harmonies and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, and which whatever that'll lead us to this particular record yeah. in, in the future. But um, but yeah, the the Pristines that was um, you know, it was really successful for a very short period of time. Uh, you know, I made a lot of money from that record. Um, and I it, it could have been a great thing, but the 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 reality of that band was um once we got a record deal and went out on the road um the girls in that band quickly realized like this is not this was not my dream this is not what i wanted to do mm. and i was always of the mind that if you picked up a guitar 
you know, what didn't, don't you ultimately want to, you know, do this for a living? You want to do this all the time. And cause that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do with the devil dogs. I, I thought I, I want this to be my life. I don't want to, you know, have a job and, you know, be a normal person. I, I want to live as a musician. You don't want to live in the nine to five room. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and with the pristines, I, you know, we got that opportunity that I didn't, you know, I didn't have to have a job and, and I could be a musician 24 seven and just like, write, You know, write songs, go to practice, all that sort of thing and not have to worry about what do I do when I come home from tour? Um, and, uh, but but the girls in that band were like, oh, yeah, this this music thing, it kind of eats up your whole life. And I can't sit on the couch with my boyfriend and watch TV. And I was like, yeah, I know. That's I thought that's what you guys wanted. And um, and ultimately they didn't, you know, they they did not. You know, I, I, I kept thinking that uh, that somebody, you know, put a, a gold bar in their lap and they were just like, oh, this gold bar, it's a little heavy and it's not as shiny as I thought and I don't really want it. And um, so, yeah, I, that's what I think, uh, you know, none of them really, they, they were not as in love with it as I was. I, I always make the example of like, if you're not really in love with the one hour that you spend on stage, the other 23 hours kind of suck, you know, yeah. especially when you're on the road like that, that one hour on stage has to be worth it, you know, for all the other stuff that you put up with. And, um, and they were not in love with that one hour. And, you know, too many of them were like, Oh, I wish I was at home. And, you know, I wish it was like my sister driving my kids to soccer practice and all that sort of thing. Are, are any of them? still doing music in any capacity no i mean not even like playing smelly cat at the central perk i do not think so um wow yeah i mean if any of them are doing anything musically i am unaware of it um gotcha but yeah i never i never see any of their names coming up in in bands and you know i i i still pay attention to all that i'm still in that world you know i i i can't as much as I, I did try and get out and, you know, it dragged me back in. Uh, <laughs> it pulled me back in. Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I got out for a year or so and um, I was just, I was just sort of namelessly depressed. You know, I was just walking around depressed all the time and I, I was kind of taking stock of my life and going like, what am I so depressed about? Everything's pretty good, you know? And, and then I was like, oh yeah, I don't play music anymore. That's why I'm depressed. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's like some, some people, uh, you know, can give it up. It was like, Hey, it was a hobby I did when I was 25 and, and now I'm, you know, now I do whatever I grownups do. Right. Right. So, so the Pristines had a song in the movie Jawbreaker. Do you get? Do you ever get any mailbox money for that? Yeah, yeah. I honestly, I, I, I hate to brag, but I, I get lots of mailbox money from the Pristines, even to this day. Wow, awesome! And uh, you know, for that song, I wrote a, uh, I wrote a Christmas song that I, oh, yeah. I had hoped would buy me a mansion and a yacht, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I that gets played on the radio 
every November to December. And I, you know, in, in the springtime, I get a check. I get a pretty nice check for that. Um, I had, you know, we had a song on 90210. We had a song on Sex in the City. Yeah. We had a song on that cartoon Daria. Um, we had a song in a commercial. So, you know, Pristines, I still get paid from the Pristines, even though that record is like 20 years old. And out of print. And and out of print. Yeah, the record label went out yeah. of business uh, shortly after the year 2000 or 2001. Yeah, that record's not on Spotify either. It's not on Spotify? No. Nope. Uh, I, I don't know. Do I have to do that? Or because there's, there's nobody on the record <laughs> label anymore. It's not <laughs> anyone cares. I, I, I don't know. I don't even know what the process would be on that. I I found I found the clips of of you all on YouTube. So there's a few things out on on the YouTube, but okay, yeah, nothing on Spotify. So well, there was two songs I thought I saw. There's uh, two, the one from Jawbreaker. The one and, from Jawbreaker. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's out. I can't recall the other one. Um, the other one is uh, what it is. The oh, song that song that's on the. Uh, Dictator's tribute. Oh man. Ah, God, that was when we had just started and um I I actually lied to uh, the guy, the guy who put that record together, his old sp- friend from Spain. His name is Kike Termix. He's he's no longer with us, and um, he was. Uh, I found out he was doing this Dictators tribute record, and I got in touch and said, "Hey, man, my new band has a Dictators cover," even though we did not. And um, <laughs> and we went into we will get one, and and we went into this cheap studio and bang that tune out in a day and um honestly whenever i listen to it i i kind of cringe because it it really does sound to me like like yeah we barely know what we're doing at this point but it's a great song um well the drumming sounds good in it yeah drumming oh cool thanks and uh, (laughs) the christmas song that should be on it's not. I didn't. See, I, I didn't see it unless it is under some other name. But I, yeah, I didn't. Uh, it's, it's called "Christmas Is a Time for Giving." Maybe I think it's just on YouTube. That's what I'm thinking. Oh well. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Right, that's well. that's the song that gives me the most most uh, mailbox money. Maybe we we just want to keep it on YouTube because we we've heard from more than one musician this year about how. Uh, little Spotify pays out. So maybe, uh, maybe just keep it on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was going to mention that. I was going to say that I, I know lots of guys and girls in bands who have their stuff on Spotify and every once in a while they post on Facebook, their, their Spotify checks and they're for like 87 cents. Right. And, uh, you know, so like the, the stuff, the places that the pristine songs get played on really pay like, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars. So that's, oh, that's awesome. That's a much better thing. Yeah. So I don't have any yeah. internet yet, yeah. but every once in a while I can buy expensive shoes. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, so, so 
once I once I was doing a little bit of research on the pristine, so I noticed that uh, um, here here's how I'm going to tie the pristines with uh, the Ramones is Joey wrote a song for you guys. He did. Oh yeah, God, yeah. It's it's a cool story because you know I was into the Ramones from the the day the first album came out when I was I was eleven, I guess, and. Um, and I was such a huge fan. And then like flash forward to years later when our album came out, um, you know, while I was writing that I was, I kind of rediscovered the first Ramones record. Cause you know, like I said, I listened to it since I was 11, 12 and you know, I kind of stopped listening to it because it was sort of imprinted in my brain. And, um, and I, rediscovered it around that time and i just thought like oh my god it's so simplistically brilliant this is this is rock and roll boiled down to pure poetry you know the pure the the uh the simplicity of it the the compactness uh and uh so i was trying to you know at the time write like the ramones and the jackson five and uh and when that album came out joey was being interviewed on MTV and, uh, and they said, Hey Joey, who's your favorite band? And he said, Oh, right now the pristines are the greatest band in New York city. So that was the beginning of our, our relationship. And, um, so one day the phone rang, uh, and I answered the phone and it was like, Oh, hi, uh, this is Joey Ramone. And, you know, my, my 12 year old self would have flipped out, right? That, that Joey Ramone called me up and, and he said, uh, so I, I wrote a song for your band and, uh, maybe you should come over my house and I'll play it for you. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to Joey Ramone's house. And, um, so I was, you know, I was trying to be as cool as I could, you know, going to meet my childhood idol. And I went over to his place and um, he, uh, I didn't get invited in to, to tell you the truth. Like he, he answered the door <laughs> and he had a cassette in his hand and he just said, here, here's a song I wrote for your band. And he said, you can do anything you want with it. Change the lyrics, change the arrangement. I don't care, but I think you guys could do a great job of this one. And um it was a song called What Did I Do to Deserve You, which uh, actually is on his, I think, second posthumous solo record. that he gave me and uh you know i i won't speak ill of him but honestly it was not his greatest 
thing. It was, wasn't as great a song. And uh, I thought it was kind of touching because I really think that he had written that song about cancer, you know, about his cancer. Um, mm. What did I do to deserve this cancer? And, um, and, you know, the pristines kicked it around for a while, but we really couldn't make it come to life. We couldn't make it sound special or anything. And, and um, yeah, so we never did anything with it, but we did, we did a show and Joey got up on stage and sang with us. There's a, a recording. If you look on YouTube of the pristines and Joey Ramone, we did, I want to be your boyfriend together. Nice. Anyway, but he, he, he booked us on a lot of shows, uh, you know, so we got to play with Ronnie Spector because of him. And, um, as a matter of fact, the very last time that Joey Ramone ever performed live before his death was at Manitoba's, which is a little club on Avenue B that was owned by handsome Dick Manitoba from the, from the dictator. And, um, you know, Joey and Mickey, his brother, had been uh, – they hadn't been speaking for a while because of, um, you know, money things. And I, I think Joey was angry with Mickey about some stories that he told in that book, Please Kill Me. And um, But, you know, Joey was kind of facing his mortality. And I believe he felt like, all right, I should reach out to my brother because, you know – I might die. And so he and Mickey reconnected. And one night they were both at Manitoba's and, uh, and they decided to get up and play some songs together. And there was this band there that Joey was managing at the time. And the drummer said, I don't know any Ramon songs. And I thought, really, you're the drummer in a band that's managed by Joey Ramon and you never bothered to listen to any Ramones records and like, and you should be listening to Ramones records anyway. And so Joey came up to me and I was bartending at the time and Joey came up to me and he said, Hey, you, you know, our songs, right? And I'm like, of course I do. And, and he said, well, would you play? So I, I had a announced to all the bar customers, like bar is closed for the next 45 minutes. I'm going to go play with my teenage idol. And, um, hell yeah. So we played, I don't know, 15, 16 songs. And, um, and two months later, Joey died. Wow. So that was the last show he ever did. Um, and I'm sure everyone there, myself included, had no idea that this was the last time Joey Ramone would ever perform live. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. That's a cool story. Yeah. <laughs> that's a- There's a photo, uh, that I have from that performance and uh, all you can see of me in it is my arm. And <laughs> so whenever I try and tell people like, yeah, I was the last guy to play with Joey Ramone. See there, you can see my arm. Right. Um, uh, are there any, are there any noticeable tattoos on that arm that you can, you know, vouch that, that uh, it's really you? Uh, I'd have to relook at the photo. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there are, there are tattoos on that arm, but um yeah, I just remember being really frustrated. That I was like, "Oh, you can't even see like half of my face in that." So I could prove to somebody that it was really me. Right, right. So, uh, so I've got a question before we before we jump into uh, the record you chose. So, is punk rock dead? 
Well, it's pretty sick. And, you know, honestly, it, it kind of is for me. I, I don't want to disparage the, the genre that gave me a reputation or whatever. But, um, you know, I can't think of any interesting punk rock that's happening now. I, I just think the, the genre has, you know, run its course. Yeah. And, and, but, but, you know, like I said earlier, I do think that there's a lot of bands that still play now and call themselves, Hey, we're punk rock. But to me, it, it is just like, yeah, you're punk rock because, you can't do anything but this. You're you don't play that well. You don't sing that well. Um, so th- the reason you call what you do punk rock is because you're a sloppy player. Yeah, like you have not you have not chosen this genre. It's your default genre. Right, it's chosen you. Yes. Yeah, and and now I'm feeling bad because uh, earlier today when I was uh, on my my morning walk, I was wearing my Menzingers t-shirt and I should have worn that for, uh, for, for this episode because when we interviewed Tom from the Menzingers and I just got an opportunity to see them a couple weeks ago. So they're on Epitaph records. And you know, when I asked Tom, so what do you guys consider yourself? And he's like, well, we're, we're a punk band. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity to see them. Yeah. I think there's, they're, they're absolutely punk influenced, but comparing them to, you know, uh, Sex Pistols or the Ramones or, you know, any of the early 80s type of punk bands, I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't know if I could I could put a Dead Boys record next to a Menzingers record and, and then point to the Menzingers and say this is this is punk not and i'm not disparaging the menzingers at all because i i love them but and and maybe that's all you need to know about punk rock is that um i'm again go back to my comment of of i'm not the punk rock rocker in this relationship i'm more of the melodic guy the americana guy and i absolutely love the menzingers so i don't know tape interpret that however you want right okay well i know the thing about you know me being the age that i am i i remember when the first ramones record came out and when the first sex pistols and dead boys records came out they were it was just shocking how how punk rock that was and like the first generation x record and and it was like, oh my god, these guys play so fast and loud and raucous. And now, when you listen to listen back to the, the, like the Sex Pistols album or the first Ramones album, you're like, yeah, it's rock and roll. And you know, right. it doesn't it doesn't sound as dangerous as it did at the time. In you know, in 1976, when the Ramones record came out, it was it sounded like it was made by Martians because it was so weird. Right. Um, and now it's just like. Oh yeah, please creep up. Sure, my my four year old sings that song. Right, yeah, and I I had my my twenty year old. In fact, he was he was helping me with the sound clips for this episode, and uh, and I said, you know what? I bet you're gonna like this album. And uh, so he starts listening to the you know the first couple tunes. He's like, oh yeah, I know these guys, Blitzkrieg Bop, right? 
And it's like, yeah. oh, you, you know, so that that tells you everything, I guess, you, you need to know, because he probably heard that on like a, you know, a Scooby-Doo cartoon or <laughs> you know, something else, because, again, it's a catchy it's a catchy tune. But, um, yeah, I, to- I totally get what you're saying, where it's like it just sounds like rock. A few years ago, I, I, you know, I took the family on family vacation and. I always grab a couple CDs from the collection just in case of, you know, whatever the internet's not working, etc. And I grabbed London calling, which is one of my all time go-to favorite records. And I remember having London calling as a teenager and thinking this is so on the edge. And now I listen to it and I kind of have the same, you know, same thing that you that you're talking about joe where it's like this is still a really good album but i don't see the edge to it yeah right it's 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 really normalized now and but yeah i remember when that record came out that record was amazing and and world shattering and and now when you listen to it you're like yeah it's rock and roll and you know and by that time even though the clash was like a punk rock band but they had moved into so many other genres like yeah they're a punk rock band and they play reggae and ska and jazz and blues and you know they're you know they're a band that that grew and and you know punk rock is like you know it's kind of like at the end of the day like rockabilly is like not to disparage rockabilly people who like that sort of music that's fine but it is a very limiting kind of music to play that it's all you know the same three chord progression and you know there's certain things that rockabilly does it's a very tiny little paradigm and um and anyone you know outside of guitar players like rockabilly is pretty much guitar player music you know because like the drums and the bass just do the same thing over yeah. and over and the guitar player gets to play ripping solos but outside of that like if you become any sort of accomplished musician, you get really bored with it. And the same thing with punk rock. Like, you know, you play punk rock for a while and then you get a little bit better and at your instrument and you think like, yeah, I would like to play a fourth chord or a fifth chord or a, or a diminished chord or play in a time signature that isn't four. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anything like that, you know, like you, you want to, you know, expand what it is you can do with your instrument and your writing. Um, And punk rock and rockabilly is, you know, it's a tiny little box to work within. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, So one last question before we switch gears and, and you, you listen, you said you listened to the Eric episode. I did. Yes. So, so you should be prepared for this question. So, Totus Africa, good or bad song? <laughs> well, uh, I, it's horrible. It's torture. It's total torture. There you go. Absolutely. And this is and this is the reason why Wayne keeps telling me book more <laughs> punk rockers on this. <laughs> it's it's I don't know. It's it's so bizarre that song that it is torture to my ears but you know i work at this bar and uh that song is on the jukebox that actually somebody compiled a cd of the most hated songs 
and you know no. it's got like muskrat love and we built oh. the city on rock and roll and and that on it and i promise you whenever that song comes on um everyone stops and sings along to it like everyone knows the words to it and whether or not they're singing it in irony or in pure love but it is an amazing and bizarre thing to see that every conversation at the bar stops and everyone sings every song to Toto's Africa. Um, and, and, and people play it so often, like, you know how jukeboxes work, like the song that is the most popular song the oh, most yeah. requested song, whenever the jukebox switches into um, automatic mode, it plays the most requested song more often. So even if the bar is empty and no one's playing the jukebox, Toto's Africa comes on two or three times. <laughs> because it, and uh, so anyway, I know I I know that song inside and out, and it it is is definitely on this on the soundtrack in the waiting room to hell. And um, but yeah, I I can't stand it. Is uh, what's new, Pussycat on on that uh, jukebox as well? It is. How did you know? <laughs> because my my favorite uh comedic bit is by john mulaney you guys know the 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 bit where he talks about the best meal i've ever had i know john mulaney but not the bit what is, what's it like uh, all right yeah. so so he comes into a a uh a diner that has a jukebox and he basically puts the quarters into the jukebox and selects what's new pussycat like 20 times in a row just to see everybody's reaction. And then of course he says, then I, I switched it up. So I played what's new pussycat for like 20 times and then switched it up with one. It's not unusual. And so everybody's like, Oh, thank God. And then it proceeds to play what's new pussycat for like five (laughs) or six times after that. So, anyways, it's that is it's, cruel. Uh, it's one of the greatest comedic bits of all time. Go check that out. Find that uh, it's just it's fantastic. So that's why I was asking: Is what's new, Pussycat, on there? Another bar I used to work at, we had Funhouse on the jukebox, and um, when it got to be about three thirty in the morning, and I wanted people to leave, I would put on L.A. Blues like three times in a row. And uh, are you familiar with that one? I'm not. No. No. You don't know that one? Mm -mm. Uh, What's on the Stooges' second album? Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I know what you're talking about. Oh, Funhouse by Stooges. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the last song on Funhouse is like five minutes of just screaming and noise. And... um, (laughs) Uh, and you know, it definitely gets people going like, yeah, maybe, uh, it's time to go home. So, right. Ways to clear a room. (laughs) Absolutely. Or if we had like metal machine music on the jukebox, I could play that one. There you go. All right. Uh, so, so tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. I have chosen the Ramones sixth album entitled pleasant dreams. Okay. So um, I like to go to the Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time for every episode just to see where that record stacked up, if at all. 
And I had I had to see if there were some Ramones records on that list. Uh, this album, not on the list, um, but there are two Ramones records on the list. First one? Yeah, the first one, for sure. First one is number 33. And then what other Ramone record do you think? Road to Ruin? I'm going to guess End of the Century. Rocket to Russia. Rocket to Russia, okay. Yeah, that's number 106. That's the one that has Rockaway Beach and Teenage Lobotomy, Sheena. Right, well, I was was doing some reading, and this record, Pleasant Dreams, malign though it may be, is the Ramones' third highest charting album. Yeah. Uh, The first being End of the Century, the Phil Spector one. And the second is is Rocket to Russia, right? And uh, they all charted in the in the forties and the fifties, which is the best the Ramones ever did on Billboard charts. And uh, most other Ramones albums didn't chart higher than like a hundred and ten. Yeah, when you when you told me your your choice, um, I had to I had to laugh a little bit. Because I, I I wanted to know if you and Eric had conspired a little bit on your on your record choices. We had not. No. The reason why I said this is so he purposely chose the second Dead Boys record because he thought that the first one had been talked about so much that it would be like more fun to talk about the second one, be it you know a little bit maligned. And so you you chose this one, which is not. I won't say it's it's. Uh, it was panned by the critics, but this was not one of their more favorites. And you can see that by, you know, being left off of the, the top 500. But I just thought when you picked it, I'm like, you're such a punk. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess I did. I mean, honestly, we did not conspire or discuss, <laughs> but I guess I thought, you know, there's a lot of records that I could say are my favorite, but, um, but yeah, I could say like, hey, yeah, London Calling, and everyone's like, yeah, London Calling, heard it a million times, right. and um, or or even records that aren't punk records, like like the first Marshall Crenshaw record, or yeah. um, I'm drawing a blank, but uh, but this one I just thought would be interesting because you know a lot of things that we'll discuss later, um, but but you know I could have said the first Ramones record, and you know, that's a very, very important record. It, it, cause it, like I said earlier, it like, it sounded like it came from another planet at the time it was released. And, uh, honestly, when I first heard it, I didn't know what to make of it. I had a really good friend at the time. Uh, he and I, he and I met over because we both like Pink Floyd, which at the time was, that was a weird thing when you're 10 and, um, and and then punk rock kind of came out and we both discovered punk rock together and we would turn each other on to like, you know, I I brought like raw power over his house. And I was like, dude, this is the weirdest record I ever heard in my life. You have to listen to this. And and the same thing with the first Ramones record that we sat and listened to it together because, you know, at the time, the two of us were both listening to you know, Pink Floyd, Mata Hoople, Alice Cooper, and and the first Ramones record was like 
that all the songs are under two minutes long and they're fast mm. and there's no guitar solos. And we were just like, what is this? This is the weirdest thing in the world. Y- you know, time has, has sort of normalized it, but uh, I, I always do remember the moment of like having first heard that it had to be like, you know, the first time, the first time somebody heard uh, little Richard doing Tutti Frutti, like that had a, blow someone's mind like oh my god what is this in 1952 right i think that's when that came out um and that had to be the most wild thing anyone had ever heard at the time uh where am i going with this um (laughs) (laughs) too many tangents sorry no it's it's all good it's all good um all right so let's let's get some bio info on on the record so Pleasant Dreams. This was their sixth studio record. Yes, and uh, came out in July of 1981 on Sire Records. So they were on a a major label still at that point. Uh-huh. Um, actually, I think they they ended up being on major labels for their entire duration, didn't they? Um, maybe their last couple were not major labels, yeah. like uh, Adios Amigos and Acid Eaters, like the really okay. Like yeah. when they were really out of gas, maybe they were on a label called Animal. Then mm. I, I forget, but it wasn't Sire anymore. They didn't. They didn't spend their whole career on Sire, right? Um, so this was uh, this was produced by Graham Gouldman, uh-huh. um, and this was that was totally the the record label intervening because yeah. they wanted Steve Lillywhite. To produce this record. Right, which would have been great because Steve Lillywhite, right? Steve Lillywhite made, you know, So Alone with, with Johnny Thunders, and which is the most polished, best album Johnny Thunders ever made. And I don't suspect he was an easy guy to work with. Um, and Steve Lillywhite pulled that gem out of him. And, uh, and Johnny had never done anything as good before or since. And, um, you know, everything Johnny did after that album just sounded like a cobbled together mishmash. And, um, and, you know, and Steve Lillywhite, of course, is more famous for having done U2 records, but, um, but he, he definitely had a more rock and roll sensibility than, than Graham Goldman, you know, uh, Right, like Graham Goldman was yeah. like a, the guy who was in Ten CC, and I think he wrote he wrote Bus Stop for the Hollies, which you know that's kind of a oh I forgot about that. That's kind of a corny yeah. tune, right? Um, but yeah, Steve Lillywhite would have been a much better choice. Um, but but it kind of goes to the thing. Well, the thing about this record was that when the Ramones did end of the century with Phil Spector, they certainly wanted a hit like they, you know, the Ramones and, and everyone in their circle, like Legs McNeil, um, you know, all the New York punk rock people thought this is the greatest band in the world. And then they certainly were, I mean, it's an arguable point, but you know, they did an important thing with rock and roll and they should be huge. They should be as big as, the Bay City Rollers, which is what they were aiming for at first. And, but the, the sound of those records was so hard for 
uh, uh, regular people to understand, you know, like why are the songs so fast and so short and why is there no guitar solos and why is there no piano in it and all that sort of thing. And, you know, I think what they went for with Phil Spector was this is the territory that we're mining. We're trying to sound like the Shangri-Las and all that sort of thing that Phil Spector did, but we, we do it with loud guitars. And they thought, okay, if we get that guy, Phil Spector, the wall of sound guy, maybe we can, you know, get played on the radio. And I think, you know, Phil Spector was pretty insane at the time or more insane. And, um, <laughs> but, but perhaps his, he was a bit too bombastic and over the top. Like they're going for it a little too hard on that record. And perhaps uh, they alienated original Ramones fans, you know, who were in love with the Ramones because of the, the loud buzzsaw guitar. And then, you know, this Ramones record came out and, and it's like, Oh my God, there's not even any guitar on this song at all. And and oh, the God, there's a piano on there and this song is slow. And, and I think it, it bummed out a lot of Ramones fans. And this record, Pleasant Dreams, is the one that came right after that. I always remember in, that, in the Ramones documentary, Johnny Ramone said after uh, End of the Century didn't like crack the charts. And, uh, and you know, and, and they also had done the film at the same time, the Rock and Roll High School. Mm-hmm. And you would think like, oh, my God, we just did a record with Phil Spector. We were in a, a major motion picture. We're going to be huge. And it didn't happen. And and I think Johnny was the one who realized like, OK, this is where the Ramones, this is where we are. We're never going to get any bigger than this. So let's just, you know, we'll just keep being the Ramones. That's as good as it's ever going to get. And and give up, you know, give up trying to have a number one single or a number one album. But on this record, I think they, they were still going for it. They were still going for, we want to get played on the radio. We want to be accepted by a, a bigger audience. Um, but they didn't, it's not as over the top as End of the Century was. So it still, it still sounds like a Ramones record. You know, there's still buzzsaw guitar on it, but it's more melodic. There's more harmony vocals. There's piano in it. So it's, you know, they softened up the sound a little bit for the uh, mass record buying public, but not too much so that, um, you know, that that Ramones fans shouldn't be entirely alienated by it if if you were in love with what the Ramones did at the beginning. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's still some phil specter elements to this record yeah absolutely so so maybe there you know there's a little bit of hangover from that or was that the direction that graham Gouldman was was trying to get or maybe sire brought in graham and said well we didn't we didn't get the phil specter sound with phil specter so you try and get the phil specter sound yeah maybe you sound more like phil specter than phil specter does right right um yeah, I don't know. And I don't know. You never know why certain producers got chosen. Um, you know, what does Graham Goldman have to do with Sire Records? Maybe he, you know, he and Seymour Stein played squash together or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. What 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 do you think this album would have sounded like if if Steve Lillywhite would have produced it? I mean, have you guys have you guys looked at Steve's resume? 
I, I have not. I mean, I just it. It's insane. Really, the people that he has worked with. So here, let me just throw out a whole bunch. Okay. So he's so he's won six Grammy awards. Wow. He uh, he is a commander of the Order of the British Empire. That that happened. That was bestowed on him in uh, 2012. Um, and they don't just give that to anyone. Um, so he's worked with you. You brought up you too. So he's also worked with Rolling Stones, Dave Matthews Band, Peter Gabriel, Talking Heads, Morrissey, The Killers, The Pogues, Kirsty McCall, which is natural because uh, he was Kirsty's um, husband. Uh, worked with Simple Mind, Psychedelic Furs, Counting Crows, Blue October, Big Country. I mean, um, and I haven't I haven't even listed all the ones that didn't make splashes under his tutelage. So pretty pretty good resume there. And I'm yeah, pretty I'm just, good resume. Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, what that would have sounded like. You know, I look, this podcast we're all about the woulda, coulda, shoulda. You know, yeah. we 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 talk about yeah. the what ifs. Um and this is one that I I I wonder uh would would they have continued to be the band um for, you know, the next couple decades if this would have broke if steve would have produced it and it became popular um would they have been comfortable with that yeah i i don't know that's really interesting like maybe had this record landed sonically a little bit closer to what the ramones were known for and what they were going for and you know i think you know like what they needed uh, their their inner pop thing to be polished up a little bit, but maybe not too much. And that's that's the thing. Like maybe some people think like, yeah, this is the Ramones. The Ramones should have been polished, but maybe not polished quite that shiny. And uh, maybe Steve Lillywhite could have gotten it somewhere between, you know, somewhere he would have split the difference. Yeah. Who knows? And um, and yeah, if this that put the Ramones on the charts and you know put them up in the leagues with you know U two and other other big bands like that, who knows? You never know. Right. And uh, even I, I know uh, so alone, which which is a great record to me, suffered a fate. Uh, apparently, uh, the the label that it came out on when they pressed up the single. You can't put your arms around a memory that that's Johnny Thunder's enduring hit um, Mm -hmm. that they only pressed uh, 10,000 copies. Uh, I don't know for economic reasons or stupid reasons or whatever, um, but that the single came out and was unable to chart, even if, you know, even if every single one of those copies had been bought, there was, you know, you can't hit the charts with 10,000 sales and, um, and and you know that that the the reason for the failure of so alone is not that it wasn't a great record is that the the record label didn't know what it was doing we haven't heard that at all during these episodes have we wayne <laughs> well, that is a common theme yeah anybody look at the deluxe version of this record i uh, took a peek yeah with a few demos why was the song chop suey not included on this record I didn't like it. I thought it was. I thought it was interesting to hear the I don't know, Kate Pearson singing on a Ramones record, but I didn't. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was as strong a song as any other ones that were on here. No. Oh, okay. 
I liked it. Um, I was it, it was on the soundtrack to a film, no? Oh, was that was that the reason why? Uh, yeah, it was on the soundtrack to a movie called Get Crazy. Ah, uh, okay. That like Lou Reed is in it and Malcolm McDowell. It's, it's a weird rock and roll movie from the early eighties. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense now. All right. Well, should we jump into the record? Square. We, yeah. We've, I think we've talked enough to lay the groundwork here on the Ramones. So as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on the number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Uh, 12. So that means top song gets 12 points. Next favorite, 11 on down to lowest score of one. So let's, uh, let's kick this off. Here's the first song. We want the airwaves. as a opening track i think it's a great opener it's almost like a like a you know battle cry almost you know like a a charge yeah i agree totally like you know a great opening statement battle charge kind of great opener but uh what did i give it um oh you know what you know what i gave it i do you gave it a nine yeah, so I'm saying not it's not the greatest tune on the record, which you know normally uh, when when a producer is sequencing a record, I, I'd always thought like you know that you want your two ten poles to be your first and last song, like the the two greatest songs should be first and last. Yeah. Um, and on this particular record, uh, you know, Airwaves is a great song. That guitar arpeggio in there is great. Um, but it's just, it's not the greatest song on this album, in my opinion. No, agreed. Either of you guys, Judas Priest fans? Uh, I'm all right with Judas Priest back in the day. I, I get a very Judas Priest, British Steel type of vibe at the beginning of this song, the, the, the guitar parts of that. Really? Wow, that's interesting. Only changes for me after Joey starts singing. Okay. But yeah, it's it's not inconceivable that that the Ramones were listening to Judas Priest, and um, what do you, what do you think that guitar that arpeggio part that sounds like yeah. Judas Priest to you? Very much so. Very wow, much okay. so. it sounded like it sounded it reminded me of that that Peter Gunn riff, that kind of oh. that spy riff. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I can get that. Yeah, because this song this is a great song, and I it's the thing is I guess it seemed almost too complex. You know what I mean with the with the there's a there's actually guitar you know like solos it's got that Peter Gunn thing and then there's some keyboards in it which and I don't want to get on the tambourine but then they got the tambourine coming in yeah. and uh, the thing about it it just seemed like not polished so much but 
but just like, I guess I'm thinking that, you know, you're, cause I didn't, I was still too young to be buying records at this point. I did my, actually my aunt took me to see uh rock and roll high school at the, at the second rate theater. So I, I seen him. I, I was starting to uh, get an appreciation for him, but I really got into the older stuff off that first album first. And this song just almost sounded almost like just too heavy and too complex. And the thing that got me also is like, I don't know if they wanted to be radio stars, but it didn't, to me, it never seemed like that. And so we want the airwaves didn't really seem like a natural statement for them. And, and, and this is what really got me sidetracked is I could just, I could absolutely see Blondie doing this Yeah, because they did want the airwaves and they had that, that, you know, Chris Stein did a lot of stuff with the guitar and Debbie, Debbie Harry could have killed this. And so once that got in my head, it, I still gave it a nine because I think it's a really great song, but I just was like, all I wanted to hear was, was Blondie do this song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that about a number of the songs on this record and much though I love Joey's voice, it's very one of a kind, but you know, the, the, your vocalist is, you know, that's the person who gets the audience into bed with you. And, um, and if, you know, if you don't have the vocals, like, you know, if, if the voice is odd, you know, the audience isn't getting into bed with you. Like a great vocalist can sell a mediocre song. A, a, a mediocre vocalist cannot sell a great song. Right. You know what I'm saying? Does that? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, but, yeah maybe yeah. that's the thing that people just listen to Ramon's records and you're like, oh, that guy sings weird. <laughs> I, I love and I, you know what to me the one it's almost like a blanket like the Joey Ramones voice is what I is the one thing you could not take out of the Ramones and he he's it's like you said it's it's effortless it's not it's almost it's almost apathetic like he's just singing he doesn't really there's not a huge amount of inflection typically he just but he has this great voice that's uh, extremely like it, I guess because I've been listening to it for so long, I just it just feels like when I hear a Ramon song, even the ones that I'm not huge fans of, I still like I still just like to hear Joey Ramon sing somewhere. Oh yeah, he's got a beautiful voice. It's it's just one of those voices. It's not for everyone, but um, you know, and and like I said, I did get to meet him a bunch of times, and you know, my my wife actually had a much closer relationship with him, like personal relationship with him. Yeah. It's, it's great hearing him sing. And, but just to know that as, as a human, like doctors told Joey's mother, like, yeah, he's probably going to be a vegetable. Like he was, he was a gigantic loser of a guy and he became an iconic rock star. So it's, that's an amazing thing to me that, that, had Joey Ramone, had the Ramones not come along, Joey Ramone would have been, you know, that that weird guy sitting on the corner with a cup in his hand. Right. And uh, not to not to keep going on about this song, but uh, Wayne, to to your point of Debbie Harry, you know, turning this into a, a great song. I don't think they really wanted the airwaves. I think that's as as tongue in cheek as. Elvis Costello singing about his radio radio. I think that that's, you know, cause the, the, the one, the one verse of 
where he says, you know, Mr. Programmer, I got my hammer and I'm going to smash my radio. That's, yeah, he doesn't really want the airwaves because... I, I I took it as they do want the airwaves, but they're going to play Ramon songs, and yeah. and and I would I would be absolutely fine with that. Yeah, I think that they wanted the airwaves, but they they, you know, they complain in in the lyrics to other songs on this album. They're like, yeah, why why aren't there cool songs on the radio anymore? Like there used to be. Um, yeah. And yeah. As, as a side note, you know that uh, that Elvis song, Radio Radio. <laughs> Um, he he recorded a an album of demos with his uh, pre uh, you know before he went solo he was in a band called Flip City that recorded an album that never was released and uh, if you ever listen to it a lot of the tracks from the Flip City record end up on the first couple of Elvis records in, in rewritten form just mm-hmm. you know similar lyrics similar melodies. And Radio Radio is on there, but it's a very pro-radio song on uh, the Flip City version. It's a song about how great the radio is. And then when Elvis did it on this year's model, it was a, a song about like, yeah, radio sucks. Right. So, you know, with, with just with a few lyrical changes, you can say like, I hate this thing or I love this thing. And um, But I, 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 I'm pretty sure that the Ramones – did want to be, they wanted to be as big as the Bay City Rollers. They wanted to have hit singles. And I think that their frustration about smashing the radio with a hammer was like, yeah, what do we have to do to get a hit single on the radio? Yeah. Um, All right. Let's get some scores. So uh, I already threw out Joe's score. Wayne, your score? Also a nine. All right. And I give this an eight. Uh, All right, moving on to All's Quiet on the Eastern Front. Joe, your your score is a little different than Wayne and mine, so um, I think we're 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 on the uh, the side of yeah, we we kind of dig this song. Um, you dig, yeah, yeah. I have problems with a couple of things, but other than that, I oh, because Dee Dee's songs are definitely like like grittier. His his lyrics are much uh, darker, and I think the when they. Our best is when you take because Joey Ramone seems to from I mean from looking at the song credits on here he ha, he definitely steers towards that '60s pop sound yeah and I always like when they when they mix the two and this this when I looked at this it says there's Joey Ramone songs and then there's Dee Dee Ramone songs and I and this one could have used a little more collaboration I don't I and like I said about Joey's voice that's all I in a way that's all I want to hear. Cause the part I didn't like about this song is where they have that kind of call and response in the beginning of the verses. 
you hear DD answer. And I think Joey should have just done both parts because that I didn't. I, that was the one thing that I didn't like. About I it. totally agree. And that's what I had to uh, uh, factor into the scoring because honestly, I love this whole record. And that was one of the hardest things was I had to like, you know, you have to score these songs and everyone I listened to, I was like, I love that song. I love that song, but I can't, I can't <laughs> score them all at the top, you know? So you have to give it some sort of uh, scoring. And yes, that part, like, I totally agree with you. Like when Dee Dee's voice comes in on that, it's like, here's Joey's beautiful voice and there's Dee Dee's weak little reedy voice. And, um, and it just doesn't work for me. So I had to, um, you know, I had to say like, yeah, that bothers me about this song. Yeah. I it, it would have been better had, had Joey just answered himself like he does in other songs. Yeah. I like the drumming on this one. I don't know. There's just that extra little riff that, uh, that I that I yeah, and there's a, like a little clicky thing in there, yeah. like somebody's playing the spoons or something. Yeah, I dig it. I like I like that. I will say though that uh, I like this song for about the first minute and a half, and then it gets a little repetitive. And that's probably uh-huh. that's probably my biggest criticism of the Ramones is um, that repetition in most of their songs. Like, there's not a whole lot of variety going on. That you know they come out of the gate with here's here's our formula for this song and we're going to stick to that right well but that's the thing about this record and maybe the previous one too that this is i think the first ramones record that a number of songs break the three minute mark yeah and whereas on the first handful of records the first three or four records like the longest song is two minutes and 45 seconds and so it doesn't have time to get repetitious. Yeah. And and that was the formula yeah. to the Ramones. Like, yeah, we, we got one verse, we got one chorus, and we're going to repeat them twice. But it's it's done in a minute and 30 seconds, so it doesn't have time to get repetitious. Yeah, I think I looked at the first album, and it was 15 songs, and it still was under a half hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. 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 And this, this record, like every, I think every Ramones record up until maybe end of the century, they all had 14, seven songs per side and, you know, seven songs at two minutes a piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so on this record, I can, I understand what you're saying that, yeah, if you have a song with not a lot of um, meat in it and you stretch it to three minutes, it's like, now you're getting repetitious. So if that song was two minutes and 10 seconds long, it wouldn't have been repetitious. Well, here, here's the irony in my remark. So I'm, I'm now looking at uh, how long each of the songs are on on this record are. So the last song was three minutes twenty two seconds. I didn't have a problem too much with the repetition, but on this song, it's two minutes and thirteen seconds long. It, oh, okay. It's the, so it's the shortest song on the on the record, and the, here I'm complaining about the repetition. And to me, this one, the the thing I think that makes it feel repetitious is that is that uh, call and response part yeah. between Joey and Dee Dee, because the lyrics to this one are are like pretty cool. It's like he's walking through the city. I mean, he makes a couple comments about, you know, New York, uh, New York, the New York beauty. And the, but there's a couple of lines about the shaky lock and the kicky door and I hunt in the alley. So there's these Dee Dee has always had the darker lyrics and so lyrically when you read it this one is a little is is different but it's that call and response part i think they do it three times and then they they do it together at the end and that's the part that that i had to separate 
from the song because I did not like it. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that was me as well. All right, well, let's get some scores on this. So, Wayne, what you got? I still gave it an eight because the more I listened to it and, and could kind of push that aside and then read the lyrics also, um, it went up to an eight. I'm giving this a seven. And um, what you got on this? On Joe? What did I do? I, I did three on this. You gave it three. Yeah. Here's the KKK took my baby away. She went away for the holiday. Said she's going to LA. But she never got back. She never got back. She never got back. They say, yeah. She went away for the holiday. Said she's going to LA. But she never got back. She never got back. She never got back. going to throw this out there right now because this does not happen often and i can't remember the last time it happened on an episode but all three of us agree on the score and all three of us agree that it's the best song on the record all right is this this is the first no i, I think that was uh when we did bash and pop uh with matthew ryan we all had tiny okay. pieces so okay. it's been that long but uh this one this is just a this is just a classic. Like I've never seen a Ramones compilation that didn't include this song. And this is what I was talking about. That great combination of these, of these odd lyrics. I mean, but it's got this whole sixties, you know, this early sixties, almost doo-wop group type of, you know, a rock and roll sound with these completely, I mean, who puts the KKK in the, in the title of their song? I've only heard it one other time. And that was, body count so i mean no one's putting kkk you don't want to be associated with the kkk but the way he does it and the way he sings it and that whole part about ring 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 the president ring 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 the fbi yeah. this is just a this is just a class this is just a great song it's hilarious and you know i i think uh, you know i was gonna say like this is this would be one of the greatest songs on any ramones record it's it's one of the best songs Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and for for kicks and giggles, I went to look at uh, a later Ramones live record, the one called uh, "Locos Live," because I wanted to see what songs from this record made the live record. You know, just a few years later. Right. You know, because usually when when you're recording a live record, it's essentially like a greatest hits record, and and right. you know, you're throwing all of your legacy songs on there. This is the only song from this album that's on that live record. Well, yeah. okay. So if that if that gives you any any uh, color, yeah. It's like you know, in the course of every band making a record, like there are your make weight songs yeah. that you know you're like, yeah, okay, this is a song. It's not terrible, but you know, I mean, whatever. Even the Devil Dogs, like we had a bunch of songs that we recorded for albums, and we never ever played them live, not not even once. Right. But yeah, so this is the most enduring one for sure. So we all agree on that yeah, one, right? Yeah, yeah. This is yep. this is no. top score. Um, is there any truth to one of the rumors of that? Uh, this was written about Johnny stealing Joey's girlfriend. And I had heard that. That's like that editor's urban legend. Like I had heard that he has written. He had written this song before that happened. And I I I read something where he had he was dating a black girl and her family didn't didn't want her going out with him mm. 
and and that that was the inspiration for the song, which like I say, it all makes sense. But how how horrible do you have to be to get a so? I mean, to basically be the metaphor for you is the KKK. <laughs> I just because I mean, because when I I heard the story too, and I thought that's that's amazing. First of all, that he did that, that he that, and then it's you got to give a little bit of, if Joey if Johnny Ramone actually continued in the band and played on the right. song. That would even be that's even more odd. But I had heard uh, his like Joey's brother said it was written it was written considerably before that had happened, yeah, or before he knew it had happened. That is what Mickey said. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, having I I never met Johnny Ramone, um, but I know a lot of people who have, and uh, the the consensual opinion is as as much as. Joey and Dee Dee were pretty certifiable nutcases. Johnny was by far the most unpleasant of them to deal with. Okay. Interesting stuff. So, yeah, the, the metaphor of the KKK for him is <laughs> yeah. somewhat fitting. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Next track is Don't Go. Um, the one thing I didn't mention on uh, the previous song is, so I know a lot's been said uh, in Ramon's history that they took a lot of elements of like, you know, the late fifties and early sixties, like doo-wop and girl groups from that time period. And I think this song really is like the first of many songs that really embraces that. I think there's elements of that in the KKK took my baby away, but it's definitely in the forefront of don't go. Yeah. Well, like Wayne said earlier, when I was listening to this, I thought, yeah, if Debbie Harry sang this song, it would kill. It would, it would have been a huge hit because that, that chorus is beautiful. And one of the reasons I scored it kind of low is that the, the verses aren't great. The chorus, the chorus is infectious, the verses aren't as great, but if if Debbie Harry or um, you know even I was I was having fantasies in my head of like my old girl band the Pristines had had the Pristines done this one, oh, yeah. it would have been a much better song because that I think that chorus to me sounds like yeah if three women sang that in harmony that would be gorgeous. Yeah, and, that, and I can and I so agree with you because the one thing this this got it probably should have been lower. I rated this thing kind of fast um, and didn't, I, I know Ben doesn't like changes, but this one, I found myself singing, but I realized that I was just singing the chorus. I had no idea what the other words were. And then I'd listen to the song and I'd sing along. And then as soon as it's over, I couldn't, it's like, this thing's like sugar candy. Like once it's just like a really quick rush and then it's gone. There's nothing. It doesn't have anything to remember it by, but except for that unbelievably yeah, catchy yeah, chorus yeah. that I found my that I found myself singing all all week long. And like, but say as soon as the song was over, I couldn't remember 
anything else but yeah. that. Right. Yeah. It's like that. The chorus is totally killer. And the verses are like, like right now I'm, I'm holding the lyric sheet in my hand and going like, Oh yeah, that's the verse. But it's yeah. A, an amazing chorus with a mediocre verse. Yeah. Um, any, any lyric interpretation for, but she wouldn't do what I wanted her. She wouldn't do it for me. Is that a, is that another <laughs> meat love song of, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> Do we ever know what the that is? Yeah, the that that she wouldn't do for me. Are we talking? Um, are we talking butt stuff? <laughs> I don't know, but I think she did it for Johnny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's get some scores on this. So, don't go, Wayne. Your score? I I gave it a six, but I I think it should have been lower. Okay, and then Joe. I gave it a siete, my friend. All right. And I'm agreeing with Wayne on this. This is my six. Okay. And let's move on to You Sound Like You're Sick. assume that most punks have been asked of them like you look sick you sound sick so i assume that this song is no different they're probably they're probably talking about not being sick because of a sore throat but we're talking about being sick in the head yeah i think we're being yeah (laughs) dope sick yeah you know because i think this is this record is definitely dd is definitely in in drug world or deep in drug world at this point yeah you know, I mean, the the lyrical imagery all through Ramon's songs are all about institutions and drugs and craziness. And so this kind of fits right in there, you know, kind of a, you know, it's a dark Dee Dee song, um, you know, a song yeah. about, you know, like you look like you're sick, meaning like, you know, you look like a junkie, not like, right. hey, you should take an aspirin kind of thing. Right. Yeah, here's your new home. This cold just won't go away. That's where you must be in the institution because you're so lazy. There you yeah. Go. Yeah. Because they have institutions for lazy people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so Wayne, I know what your score is. So why, uh, why do you not like this song? You know, and ultimately, it's, I don't think it deserves this score. I, like I say, I judged it hastily and – as I listened to it, because I thought, just to, to be fair, I thought we were recording on Saturday. And so I lazily was just trudging along on my research for the Ramones Pleasant Dreams. And then I was like, oh, yeah, we're recording tonight. So I had to, I, I felt like I had, I got under the gun. Right. They're going to put you in the institution because you're so lazy. <laughs> but ultimately, the thing that always bothered me every time I listened to it is the two lines in the, that are the, uh, would be considered the chorus. And it's, you look like you're sick. 
and then you sound like you're sick too. And it, it didn't, it's like the second one has too many lines. I felt like they should have evened it out. And it always just bothered me. Like melodically, it just didn't feel like it, it didn't work. Like it should have been like, you sound like you're sick fool and you look like you're sick too, or something. It just felt like it was uneven. Right. Well, he does, he does, not that bad. He does change the word, the monosyllabic sick into two syllables, like you're sick and then you're sick too. So it's, it's the same syllables because he, you know what I'm saying? He turned a one syllable word into a two syllable word. But. Yeah. And I, and I, I, because the, there's so much of this song that I do like, like the in between that part, it's like I said before, like Didi's like your drunk uncle at church. Every time I've seen him on anything, he's like, <laughs> He's hitting on nuns and he's, you know, he'll get right up and grab the microphone and just start talking on anything I've seen. And he's got, he's, and his lyrics are definitely grittier, much more real life underbelly type stuff. And, uh, but for whatever reason, once that bothered me, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I, I kind of pigeonholed it down at number one and I, and, and listening to it, like I listened to it a couple times in a row, like within the last you know, six hours. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I think I judged this one too harshly. And I gave some others some, some love that they didn't deserve. Well, there's some other things about this one that I like. Um, Marky Ramon, uh, I don't know if, if you're aware, you know, before he was in the Ramones, he was in Richard Hell and the Voidoids. And before that, in the early seventies, Marky Ramon, when he was Mark Bell, was in this band called Dust. They only made two records, like 71 and 72, I think they were. And uh, the the funny thing is when you look at them, and, and again, this is 1971, and they wore leather jackets and T-shirts and jeans and had long hair. Um, they looked like the Ramones before the Ramones. But, you know, the Ramones, one of the things that's been said about the Ramones is that the Ramones are as much a concept band as Kiss. However, the Ramones concept was so brilliant that it's transparent, that you don't know it's a concept. Right. That you can look at the Ramones and go like, oh yeah, these guys, they wear leather jackets and t-shirts and jeans because that's how they dress. However, they decided to dress like that and they decided to all, all always dress like that. Um, but Mark Bell's first band, Dust, dressed like that because that's that's what was their normal clothing. But um, if you listen to the Dust records, and I don't recommend it, they're not great. The songs are not great. But as a drummer, I listen to them, and Mark Bell is amazing. He's an amazing drummer. Um, and when he joined the Ramones, of course, the, the template for what the Ramones do was already set up. So a guy like Mark Ramone you know, couldn't come in the band and go like, Hey, now I'm going to, you know, go play fills like I used to. Like, you know, when I joined the swing and neck breakers, you know, normally I was a really busy kind of Keith Mooney player. And when I joined the swing and neck breakers, I sort of had to play to their template of like, yes, the drummer in this band takes minimal fills, does minimal cymbal hits. And, you know, I kind of had to play like that. And so I think that's what Marky Ramone had to do in the Ramones and go like, yeah, I got to play like Tommy used to play. But on, on this record, there's a, a, a couple of little flashes where he gets to go like, yeah, check out what I can do. And there's a couple of things on you sound like you're sick 
that again, as a drummer, I'm like, wow, listen to that. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, Marky Ramone gets to show off from time to time <laughs> a couple of times on this album. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of them. I think the next song will be a little more uh, showing off as well, or at least I, 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 I like the drumming in that one. Um, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. So um, yeah. let's get some scores. So Wayne, I gave it a, a, a one, which, but I don't know. It doesn't deserve it. Okay. And then Joe? I gave it a six. And I'm giving it a four. And next song, uh, It's Not My Place, in parentheses, in the nine to five world. pretty much the musician's mantra right right and i've i've been having lots of those thoughts uh lately as well um that maybe nine to five is not not always my friend good full-time podcaster i know let's do it no not me i can't afford that (laughs) uh what do you guys think about the name dropping that they do in the in this song uh I don't have a problem with yeah, it. Yeah, I, I liked it. It was a little obscure. I mean, they weren't. I mean, Jack Nicholson, I guess, is a pretty famous. But some of the stuff. Who's Uncle Floyd? Uh, I think they had been on Uncle Floyd a couple of times at that point. Uh, so they they probably had a real relationship with the guy. I don't know who. I don't know who Uncle Floyd is. Who is that? Oh, you, do you not know Uncle Floyd? Um, Uncle no. Floyd. Uh, yeah, maybe that was like a local New York, New Jersey thing. He and this is like pre pre cable TV. He used to have a TV show, um, and it was a very like low budget comedy show. Uh, and it was like you know he was an older guy, and he had he had puppets. He played piano. He told a lot of corny jokes, but he had a lot of like really cool rock and roll guests, and the Ramones were one of them. And um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a cult show and I I had forgotten that, yeah, maybe if you didn't grow up in New York or New Jersey, you'd never seen the Uncle Floyd show. Okay. It was yeah, kind it was- of a big thing back in the late 70s, early 80s. Awesome. Um, so the when he's doing all the name dropping, so he throws in 10 CC. So was the reference <laughs> to 10 CC a tribute or a dig to Graham, their producer? Uh, uh, it didn't come off, but I, I mean, I think it could go either way. <laughs> I, I could definitely yeah. see it going either way. I, I, the way he worked it in there, it's, it didn't, it doesn't sound like it, but I mean, it, it definitely, you could definitely take it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was a bit of a tribute. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, I know Johnny was very unhappy with the choice of, of Graham for the production of this record, but I don't know that Joey was, I think, 
Joey may have been happy with it. <laughs> That's true. How about uh, how about when you name drop your your band name within a a song that you sing? You guys all right with that? Because he he says the Ramones are hanging out in Kokomo. <laughs> well, personally. I was a big fan of the John Spencer blues explosion. And if anyone's guilty of it on multiple counts, that it's John Spencer. Do you know the blues explosion at all? A little bit. I probably haven't spent enough time there though. Yeah. John Spencer says blues explosion. Forgive me. Blues explosion in many, many songs. And he even has blues explosion in the title of some of their songs. So Uh, I, I, find it kind of funny <laughs> all right um what else we got on this song uh, you know what i and i like it i think it's it, it's it's unique and it's a song i've been listening to for years the one part i never did like about it is that kind of that psychedelic organ breakdown that they have i don't know, i think it's about halfway through but other than that once again it's taking that 60s that early 60s sound and then mixing it with this you know, we're not, we, we don't belong in this, in this, in the normal society. We don't belong where every, where everybody else lives and it, and it's right. cool. And then that name dropping thing at the, you know, Lester bangs. Um, and then he says like, I think he says, it sounds like Alan Arkus, but I think he's, I think he means Alan Arkin who would have been fairly a pretty popular actor at the time. So, but it just, it has a weird, it does have, I think it's almost too much, too much of that, that sixties, that, that early 60s okay. sound, but I definitely like that, you know, once again, combining it with that more obscure kind of a kind of a, a theme. But that, yeah, there's this weird psychedelic breakdown in it because I have I really have a problem with keyboards in Ramon songs. Uh, oh, you mean in that bridge and that halftime bridge? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's like there's like timpani in there, too. Yeah, it gets, all, it gets real psychedelic, oh, yeah. and I don't even. And I say I couldn't say that it was an organ. It could be an effect on the guitar that's making it sound like that, but uh, it's or a second guitar. But yeah, that's the one part about it that I think could be pulled out. But this is another song that I I think another another band could have a shot at, even doing better. Right. Well, one one thing I learned um, from working with Richard Goderer, uh you know that dude? He was in The Strange Loves. He produced uh, the first couple of Blondie records, Go-Go's records, Richard Hell. He produced a record of mine. Um, a, a song arranging or writing trick he taught me was um, if you make the drums in your verse a little, I don't know what's the right word, like less than groovy, you know, a little stumbly. And then when you get to the chorus and you straighten it all out, then, you know, the ear is very pleased by the chorus because now the beat is a little smoother. And that's what this song does. Like in the verse, he's doing that sort of Bo Diddley beat on the snare. And when it gets to the chorus, the groove gets all smooth and nice and danceable. Okay. Um, Anyway, just as a, you know, I mean, when I was listening to this record, there's a, you know, I'm listening like with drummer ears and I'm listening with songwriter ears as well. And, uh, you know, so there's certain songs that I think like, yeah, as a songwriter, I like what they did there or, or, or not. And as a drummer, I like what he did there. And, you know, you have to weigh those two things out. Right. Right. All right. Let's get some scores. So Wayne, I, I, you know what? I gave it a 10 because it's a song. I, it's a, it, 
I think it's a good song. Like on its own, it just stands out. I did the same. I gave it a ten. All right, and I gave it a nine. Okay. So let's. Uh, this would be the point where we flip the record over. So here is track one from side B. Here's uh, "She's a Sensation." sensation there's a lot of great things about that song um you know i love another, sorry another another 50s and 60s vibe song yeah yeah but this time i think it really like it really works um this has a, an energy that that kind of it's easier to link with the ramones and like it, it is what what don't go is trying to do this song does exponentially okay okay that's a, uh, I can get behind that point. Um, I like that it, it does have that fifties innocence. And, and again, like as a songwriter, when, when you look at these lyrics, like she looks so sweet, good enough to eat. She looks so fine. Got to make her mind. Let's, you know, the moon spoon, June <laughs> rhyming is like, if anyone, but the Ramones did that, I would have went like, Oh, are you kidding me? Is that how you, that's the rhyme you're going for. <laughs> You know, like I like the way that she walks. I like the way that she talks, that kind of thing. Um, but in this song, in the hands of Joey Ramone, totally works. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care what the neighbors say. I always will be true. I just thought this one was had much. It was much more memorable, too. Like when this would come on and it would go off, I would still remember and sing. Like it just had much more, uh, much more of an energy and much more of a. It just was more memorable. Yeah. yeah. And another another song where um, Marky gets to show off his drum chops a little oh, bit. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, agreed on that. Yep. You know, Tommy Tommy Ramone would have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we get some scores on? She's a sensation. That's hard to that's hard to say a lot. Yeah. What the uh, the the um, the lots of alliter- the alliterative symbol sibilance. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Wayne, your score? An eleven. I I really like this one. Yeah. And then Joe? I had to go with eight. I mean, and, and again, like I said, there's so many songs on here that I was like, I totally love this, but everything can't be a twelve. No. And uh I've got an eleven for this. Okay. Which leads us to seven eleven. And you 
Did the label talk them out of calling the song We Was Young and in Love because it's not proper English? Because, <laughs> like, they only say 7-Eleven once. There's only one reference to 7-Eleven, right? Yeah, yeah that's 7-Eleven. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think the Ramones used tons of improper English on titles <laughs> in the past that they got away with. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else think that this story is uh, just like the narrative in... Um, Last, Last kiss, kiss or uh, leader of the pack or yes. uh, any ha- other handful. That's that that drug it down. This actually should probably be the my my least favorite because it was one of those things that it started out. It has some catchiness to it. It kind of gets a little uh, kind of like the way he references Blitzkrieg Bop and the you know and then and and the Space Invaders and it has this kind of kitsch factor early on. But the more you listen to it, the more I listen to it. As time went on, like I was listening to it, you know, as I lit the last kind of run through and I thought this really should be the lowest score because it doesn't have anything. And then, like I say, that whole ending where he just goes, he basically runs through every early 60s girl group last uh, cliche death on the pie, you know, dies in the road in her arms or his arms. Yeah, that got. Yeah, and it does seem a bit of an afterthought that, you know, you're going through the course of this song and and then all of a sudden it's like, and then she got hit by a car. And <laughs> like, really? Like, we were just playing Space Invaders. What the hell happened? <laughs> are you, uh, so Wayne, to your point, are you, are you cool with doing the callbacks to previous songs where the kids are all doing the Blitzkrieg bop? The way I really thought, and I think, in, I think it's, we want the airwaves where they, they use some hey hoes. Yeah. Which I think is the best way to call back any remote song is to just, just those, you know, those two lines. Cause this, it, it worked okay. But like I say, this song is now at, by the end of this thing is starting to derail into a giant cliche and you really don't want to get yourself mixed up in that at that point. Yeah. Yeah. They do uh, in, in uh, sitting in my room, they also mention sniffing glue, which is yeah. like another Back yes. to the first album. Yeah, yeah, I had that. I had that. I do like um, Alice Cooper has a couple of songs where they mention uh, other songs of theirs. I can't think of them right now, but there are a couple of Alice Cooper songs that mention other Alice Cooper songs. Okay, which I thought was really cool. Oh, yeah, there's on this on their second album, they reference their first album. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think it can be done. I just don't, this, like I say, I think the way this thing ends, you probably don't want to get your, you don't want to get anywhere near it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get some scores. Joe? I gave that a two. And then Wayne? Yeah, I, I gave it a four. And, I, and and once again, I really think that if I was to score it again, this would probably be the least, my least favorite. Okay. Okay. And this is my five. And, okay. And um, next Next song, You Didn't Mean Anything to Me.
And that's kind of how I feel about this song a little bit. Um, <laughs> one of my least favorite songs. Um, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, you the know? lyrics are kind of all over the place to me. Um, and I kind of feel like, I don't know, he's trying too hard on some of it. Um, or you could say perhaps he's not trying hard enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing that I, I agree with you that the lyrics are all over the place because I think that the, you know, that chorus and it's not that great a chorus. You didn't mean anything to me. The, the, the lyrics in the verse have nothing to do with that. So it sounds to me like the lyrics in the verse seem to be describing uh, like life on the road, you know, like the dinners were bad, the maids were mean, there was beer in the soda machine. Um, <laughs> you know, that they're... sounds like life on the road to me. So this is a song kind of complaining about being on tour. And then the, the, the summation, the chorus is, you didn't mean anything to me. Like, are you saying touring doesn't mean anything to me? Or do you did you just have, it seemed to me like maybe he just had that chorus, you didn't mean anything to me. And some extra lyrics and said, oh, I'll just throw this chorus and these lyrics together. And, you know, the chorus and, and the verses have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the one thing I didn't like, the, the score got really low for me because the way they do the chorus, like when Joey's voice kind of gets deep and I, I almost expect him to say raw hide. And then, <laughs> and then, then the right going out of it is this, uh, this big, it's it's a cool it's a cool like riff. I mean it's it's real bassy, but it almost but it sounds like something you would hear from another band. It sounds almost like too heavy, kind of too almost hardcore. I mean I expect this coming out of a Misfits chorus. I don't it doesn't belong. But yeah, it's right after right after Joey changes that that he has this great odd voice that I that I love and associate with his band, and then he changes it for this. And then I but I did I did love the the lines. Uh, ran into a miracle there was beer in the soda machine i was just like hey that is a miracle that's awesome yeah that is my my wife's favorite line as well she loved that yeah i could see that that you know if you're you're trapped in a boring hotel in some nowhere town and you find out that soda machine is full of beer and you're like oh hey great we're gonna have a good night and drink some beers it's a miracle (laughs) all right let's get some scores wayne i gave it a two so the song didn't mean much to you yeah. Now, I, I, no. yeah, Joe. I did four on that one. All right. And I got a two on this one. Okay. All right. Leads us to come on now. Okay. And even though this is one of my top songs for scores, I don't have any notes on this. So you guys, <laughs> you guys are going to need to give 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 me uh, give give me some some uh, uh, illustrations on this. Other than my only note on this is I highlighted, I'm just a junk food guy. Now I'm telling you why. Did he really explain it? 
(laughs) But this one has got that, like I say, what I I mentioned it before, that combination of where you're taking, you know, Dee Dee's uh, lyrics, which are the total teen rebellion. You know, we got no wheels to no we no wheels to race. The you know police are all over the place. No skirts to chase. Uh, It's all you know. And but he's got these. uh, But it's got that real revved up, almost you know like Buddy Holly kind of a real revved up sound that works just brilliantly. This one could have even, this one probably I could have even gone higher than I actually did. Yeah. It was tough for me too. Keyboards. That's what that's once again, they seemed completely out of place. And, and I think they, I just think they could have been removed and, and everything would have maybe even stood out better. I got no problem. I got no problem with it. That high piano thing in it. Yeah, it's, if it was a piano, I'd give it. I'd give it something for that. But it was. It's clearly. It's clearly some sort of a synthesizer. But there's some keys. There's keyboard stuff earlier, at least early on in it. I may have lost. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's an organ. Yeah, they should just. That should just come out. <laughs> it didn't hurt. It didn't. I really love okay. the song, but it doesn't. I just. Once again, I don't think it's I don't think uh, keyboards have any place near a Ramon song anyway. But in this one, it, with this just this super revved up, you know, almost pra- like right up against rockabilly, it's very revved up and 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 it doesn't need it doesn't need that. A piano would have maybe fit okay. in, maybe some boogie woogie, you know, uh, uh, little Richard piano or something. Maybe could have gotten that passed. Just let it go, man. Just let it. I go. can't. I, I know. Can't. Um, but yeah, for a Dee Dee song on this record, it's it's really upbeat. Like most of the rest of the stuff Dee Dee wrote on this record are kind of downers. Yeah. But this is like such a like let you know, like you said, like a like a fifties party song. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I like it. This is one of my favorites on on the record. Uh, I'm giving yeah, it a ten. Too. Wayne, what's your score? I I gave it a seven, but it should be higher. All right, and then. And then Joe, wow. you gave it seven. I gave it eleven, and now we're seven, in seven. Seven. There Playing you go. Space <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> second to last song. The business is killing me. have never done a song kind of like that kind of dirgy and then it, it kind of pops in the chorus i mean there's a lot of things i like about it excuse me um a lot of things i really liked about this song you know the the uh i i think it is uh you know joey's confessional of of you know being sick on the road but uh I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of things I like on this song and a lot of things I don't like the, Oh no, no. Or, 
you know, whatever they're prolonging it and kind of doing a little bit of falsetto to go along with it. Yeah. Cause I like, I like the sentiment of it. Like it makes sense. Like we've, we've already, it sounds like the, the producer was forced on them and the label is trying to make them maybe something that they even know that they're not. And so I, I, the, the idea that the business is yeah. killing him and some of the lines, but it's very, sometimes Joey Ramone, he fills in space with yeah, yeah, yeahs and oh, no, no. When, whereas, like I say, on Dee Dee's songs, there's a little bit more of a story inside him. This has the attitude, right. but it, that's all that it really had at the end of the day for me. Yeah. Right. But it was tough for me to score that one. But uh, what, what did I, I gave it a five. Um, and then Wayne, your score? I gave it a three. Yeah, matching your three. All right. Let's wrap this up. Wrap Sitting it. in my room. that one what do you think so this is my lowest score this is uh i don't know that you know going back to what you were saying they they do do a callback of the sniffing glue try and sniff some glue line but i don't know it feels like a a throwaway song to me yeah i agree so that's kind of why i gave it my my lowest score yeah, I feel like that there I think there is a number of Ramones records. I should have written this down, but uh they do have a number of songs that in my opinion end with the weakest song. And I I was saying much earlier that I think that you know, m- most albums are sequenced with you want your two tent poles first and last song to be the strongest song so that you know, when this album ends you heard the best or the second best song that they have to offer. And, and it, you know, the album leaves you with a good taste in your, in your brain. You're like, wow. Yeah. You know, rock and roll all night is the last song on that kiss record, you know? And uh, I'm sure we could all think of other records that like the last song is the greatest or, you know, whatever Tom Petty's first album, American girl, the last song. Um, so that, you know, when that album ends, you're like, you left with a good feeling. But a lot of Ramon songs end with what I think is like the song that they were like, eh, we're going to leave this one off or put it on. Well, yeah, we have to make 32 minutes. So, yeah, let's put it on. And, yeah, to me, this sounds like the song that, you know, it's an afterthought. It's not the strongest song. And it's got to go somewhere. May as well put it last and hope people forget it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I've noticed in doing all the scores that we've done is there's two camps. There's the camp of you put your worst song as the last one. And, you know, cause most people probably tuned you out anyways, or you've got the other camp like Wayne, we just did episode 
about Automatic for the People. And we talked about how the last three songs on that record. Playoff run. Oh my gosh. Solid. I mean, that's the way that you end a record is with those three songs where as soon as you're done with that record, you're like, I can't wait for another REM record to come out. Right. You know? And so, um, so I don't know if this song, at least for me, this song does not get me to the place where I'm like, I can't wait for the next Ramones record. To come out. Yeah. Like this, this album kind of ends with that whimper of like, eh. Yeah. The- well, the last, the last two songs for me. Yeah. 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 And like I say, I, I wrote, I gave it a higher score. Once again, it didn't, that it didn't deserve. But I, yeah, the, my notes have the same kind of things you're talking about. This is a standard Ramon song. It's not spectacular. It's got a lot of, it's got a lot of what they do put into this, this last, this last song. It's, exactly. It's, yeah. It's like a typical Ramon song. <laughs> like you'd expect to have been on the first one or the second one or the third one. And uh, so it's not, it doesn't fit in with the the things that they've done on this record with backing vocals and keyboards and stuff. There's more of a typical Ramones song, but if you put it on any other Ramones record, it still would have been one of the weaker songs, you know, like the, like the first Ramones album, there isn't a single weak song on there. Yeah. It's solid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All um, right. So I've already thrown out my score. So Joe, I think I did the same as you. I gave it a one. Yep. And then Wayne. I gave it a five. It didn't deserve. Okay. <laughs> I hastily, I hastily scored this and, uh, and I didn't want to mess up Ben. He gets all pissed if I change the scores at the last minute. So right. I, I have to suffer through it. In the institution. Right, you're exactly. so lazy. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything on this record? Uh, oh, no. We yeah. got this one. No, I think we got it. We nailed right. it down like some carpeting or something. Well, <laughs> this is this is the point that we go through our top five, and uh, I think we've established <laughs> what our number one is. Right. Oh, yeah. Since we all agreed. So the KKK took my baby away. That's number one. Um, number two. She's a yeah, she's a sensation is number two. That got an average score of ten. Uh, how about our third score? Nine to five world. Yep, uh, that got an average score of nine point six six. Okay, just edged out. Uh, Come on now, which had a nine point three three, and rounding out our top five is we want the airwaves. That got an eight point six six. Okay, so yeah. That's a pretty solid five, right? I'm comfortable with that. Live with that. Yeah, that's 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 a good five. Well, um, Joe, this has been fun. Thanks for oh, absolutely. Thanks, thanks for revisiting with us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Anything? Uh, this is usually the point where I say uh, promote away. Anything you want to promote? Any uh, books that you've written or bands that you're in or. Well, I'm in a band now called Gotham Rockets, and we just released our first uh, double single. Cool. It's a double seven-inch, so it's four songs um, on Rumbar Records, which is a label out of Boston. Um, And you can go to uh, Bandcamp 
uh, to get that or go, go to rum bar. I'm sure you can order it from rum bar. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good recording. It's, uh, you know, two songs written by me, two songs written by the guitar player, a guy named Matt Langone. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool band. It's a cool record. I was, uh, you know, of all the things I've done, I was, I was pretty proud of this. Like it came out really, really good. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, we will, Ooh. we will check that out. Uh, everybody needs to go check that out as well. Um, all right. So here's, here's the, uh, here's the question that we throw out at the end of our, of our episodes. Uh, and, uh, since you came to us by a referral from Eric Davidson. So who do you know that we don't know that would want to come on our podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Oh, let's, um, the first guy I thought of, uh, and I was just texting with him earlier today is Ken Fox from the flesh tones. Um, do you, you know the flesh tones? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ken's, you know, Ken's a big music head. I think Ken has a lot of, uh, you know, a huge vault of knowledge in his head. Or there's there's another guy who, uh, uh, his name is Mike Fornital. Uh, he, was, he was actually in the left bank. Uh, he's a guy I've, I've done shows with and I've seen him play. He's just like, he's an explosion of talent and a mountain of rock and roll knowledge. Like that dude could tell you what, um, what gauge guitar string Lou Reed was playing when he played on sister Ray or, you know, he just, he knows everything. And, uh, I, I think he could go, you could ask him about anything and he would know more than you could possibly imagine. Um, the other guy uh, who I think would be really fun is Ronnie Barnett from the Muffs. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. That would be fun. Because Ronnie, uh, you know, Ronnie's music taste goes to places where you wouldn't expect it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I could get you in touch with Ronnie if you want, if unless you know him. Don't. <laughs> no, no, that that'd be awesome. We want to keep your referral trail going. So you guys are the the referral trail that started way back with uh, Ira from Not a Surf. Um, okay. Yeah, we've we've got some good referral trails going. So we want we want to keep those going. Well, yeah, I used to uh, I used to share a rehearsal space with those guys. Awesome. Yeah, still making good music. That is very cool. Or what about Miriam Lina? That might be. Uh, uh, where do I know that name? Uh, you know Norton Records. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, Miriam Miriam was the original drummer in the Cramps. Like that's wow. Okay, that's where I know. It. You know, I think okay. before yeah. before they got a record deal, like Miriam played in the Cramps in seventy seven, I guess. Okay. Um. But anyway, she has a record label called Norton. Gotcha. Well, you are connected, and I know Wayne is salivating because he's like, every one of Ben's picks are saying Africa is a good song, and all of <laughs> all of this, all of the punk line, all of the punk line is saying it's a horrible song. So he wants to he wants to keep the punk line going here. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think Ronnie Barnett will hate that song, but I'm not sure. <laughs> 
Cool. Perfect. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. So as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited Podcast. We're on Instagram. We're on we're on Twitter at Podcast Records. Find us on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and you can go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com and find all of our old episodes as well. Please go subscribe, rate, or review us. And thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store, and not just on record store day. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. out.